Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 29. Look at other people's systems and get overwhelmed. But I think at the end of the day, as farmers, do what you can with what you have. Constantly work towards better. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. I'm Cal Hardage, your host. On today's episode, we have Grace Leak, the shepherdess at Harmony Farms. The shepherdess comes on to share about her journey with Dorper sheep and what she's doing on her farm, not only for her farm and for her sheep, but also for marketing. I think you'll enjoy today's episode, and let's talk to the shepherdess. Grace, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass podcast. We're excited to have you on here today. Well, I am delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Yes, sir. So I am the shepherdess at Harmony Farms. I am farming a flock of full-blood Dorper sheep in Upper East Texas. I personally am in my rookie year as a farmer and a shepherdess. The flock actually lived on my parents' property for two years before I undertook the ownership of it this year. So I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at today in my first year, chronicling it through a YouTube channel and podcast. Wonderful. Let's jump back before you got the sheep. Were sheep on your radar? Did you grow up with livestock? How did you you start this journey? Yeah. Okay. So I am a digital marketer by trade. Jumped into farming, kind of felt called to it about a year ago when I kind of looked at my window and I saw the resources at hand. And I guess you could say for the entirety of my entrepreneurial journey, that's a hard word to pronounce for me still, even though I'm an I'll entrepreneur. Let you say it versus me. Right, right. My The crux of my drive in business has kind of been resource conversion. You know, my first business was when I was 10 and I took, you know, this bag of scrap fabric and I created baby clothes out of it and flipped them on the internet and it did really well. And so when I looked out my window at 30 acres, I saw the same sort of opportunity and I knew nothing about agriculture. I knew nothing about raising animals. In fact, I, I had a hamster when I was 10 and that was about <laughs> the beginning and the end of it. Um, but I picked up a book called Salad Bar Beef by Joel Salatin and it kind of blew my mind wide open to the potential in grass grazing agriculture, and the ability to turn it into a business. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. So very good. Did you happen to read his book, You Can Farm? No. So okay, so I did an interview with Joel Salatin for my podcast. And I said, Sir, how many uh, books did you write? I, I and he said, Oh, 14. And no, I only read one. It was salad bar beef. That was enough to get me going as a farmer. And I, and I haven't read any others. That was the one you needed. You just you need the one to get you started. Right. I tease it's the book on beef that turned me into a shepherdess. <laughs> right. Yes. I I have the book, You Can Farm, but it's always on my to-read list versus my read list. One of these days I'll get to it. Right. So you read this book and why'd you go with sheep versus beef? Right. So I wanted to get into beef because I wanted nothing to do with sheep. I watched the, uh, just the intensive management that they required for two years. And, and, you know, they were being managed conventionally and they were being managed very well 
But despite all of the inputs, they were on a continuous grazing system. So despite all of the inputs, they still just weren't thriving. Um, they were struggling a lot with parasites and being on a continuous grazing system, regardless of, you know, the amount of conventional dewormers, they just weren't doing well. Anyways, so I started to pursue beef because I was like, I want to put something on this 30 acres that will be easier and better than sheep. So oh, I yes. picked up that book by Salad Bar Beef, uh, Salad Bar Beef by Joel Salatin, and was introduced to the concept of rotational grazing for the first time. And I thought, I want to do this with my cows when they come. I mean, I want to see if this will work. Well, as I was preparing to get my beef steer in, I was looking at my window at the sheep, which were really struggling. And I thought, I could at least practice on the sheep. And if I succeed or fail at this rotational grazing thing, you know, at least I won't have failed on something that costs me a lot of money. And that betrays a bit of, uh, <laughs> it doesn't make me sound very good. But I did exactly that. But but it, it's true. Sheep are a little bit more inexpensive. Yeah. And if you're, if you're working um, with a budget or learning something, yeah. it is a lower cost entry fee yeah. to do it. Exactly. And at that point, they cost me nothing. I mean, I did end up buying the flock from my parents once I watched what how the flock really came back to life on this intensive grazing management program I just thought I could probably do sheep and you know as a business person I kind of ran the numbers on sheep um, and realized their marketability was higher their cost per pound was higher and just you know I sort of bonded with the flock in that shepherding process that process of watching them sort of come back to life under my grazing management and that is sort of the evolution. I still have the beef cattle. I still run it sort of on the side. But I made that shift as I began working with them and working with their grazing to pursue sheep as my main enterprise. So so you're looking out the window and you're looking at sheep not thriving as well as you'd like. You're reading salad bar beef. You're introduced to rotational grazing. What was your first step with your sheep to try it out? Yeah, this is funny. Um, there were, I didn't go, I didn't start with the whole flock. There were four ram weathers, a ram and some weathers that we were getting ready to send off to processing. And I was like, I advocate for starting small. I mean, if you're, especially if you're going into a field that you have no clue about. So anyways, I created this little paddock for these four animals and I set them out in the back pasture, which was 10 acres. And I was like, if I can contain four animals, I can contain 40 animals. And so I did. I started with those four animals. I created a paddock on the side pasture and it worked. They respected the electric fencing and that just fueled me. Um, and I, then I said, okay, mom, I know these sheep are yours, but I want to put them on this pasture rotation. And so she gave me permission and free reign to just do whatever I wanted with those animals. And I moved into a pasture rotation on August 15th with the whole entire flock. Been doing it ever since. You touch on a very important point there. Starting small, but also starting with what you have. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the most important part of that is you started. Right, right. And especially if you're going into something like agriculture and if you're going into something like agriculture with zero background or zero experience just literally challenge yourself to see how small you can start it's been one of the most important things for me because like i said i started out wanting to do beef cattle i pivoted and the reason i had the ability to make that pivot sort of midstream 
was because I started small and I, I wasn't loaded down with, you know, these 10 heifers that I initially planned to buy. Um, I was able to make that pivot because my start was small. So really want to encourage people to do that. Oh, yes. Get started and start small. Right. What kind of infrastructure do you have as it pertains to fencing and um, barns on your mm -hmm. land? Yeah. So that was one of the things that encouraged me. Our infrastructure is pretty good. We have 30 acres. It is cross-fenced into three large pastures that are roughly 7 to 10 acres each. And we have very good fencing, perimeter fencing, which is a 6-inch hog fencing. So the containment in the perimeter fences is excellent. It is also good for predators. We don't have guard dogs that are mature yet. So dual purpose there. Um, we have a small shed, which is suitable for bringing them in from freezing rain and such. No large barn or, you know, lambing jug, stuff like that. Um, just essentially a shed and some really, really good fencing, which kind of all, I, all I've needed so far. Oh, yes. And then how are you rotating them through your pastures? Do you have some permanent paddocks or subdivisions or are you doing temporary fencing? Yeah, so there is no permanent paddocking besides the three cross-fenced pastures. So within each pasture, I will use a poly tape, which is, I found the poly tape to be really kind of crucial for my sheep. They need to see it better, you know, to respect it. Oh, so yes. I'll take the poly tape and I will cross-fence each seven-acre pasture into probably about 35 to 70 individual paddocks, just depending on how intensively I'm rotating. So if I rotate once a day, they need about one-tenth of an acre. So if I'm on one-day rotation, oh, yes. a seven-acre pasture will be about 70 paddocks. So I do break them down pretty tiny from those already cross-fenced areas. Very good. And are you running one tape across to keep them in that area? It's sort of a juggling system right now. It's a, she it's a bit of a sheep game with respect to... Uh, containment some days i can get away oh, yes. with one strand they're happy as can be and some days i do need two or three strands so it's a combination of things if i'm lucky one oh, yes. most days two or three so have you always been that way on the number of strands you put up um interestingly enough i'm finding it to be seasonal oh, okay. uh, seasonality plays a lot with respect to difficulty and containment so like i said i'm, I'm still in my first year but as I went from, I initially trained them on three strands, and then they did really well on one strand. That was during a big, I guess, fall comes back and the grass comes back really well. Well, as the forage quality declined, containment became an issue. Oh, and so I had to increase yeah. my number of strands essentially over winter. And now that we're coming back into spring, um, I'm getting away a little bit more with the single strand. So it's interesting to see how the forage quality kind of contributes to their contentedness in the paddock. So that's the way it's worked for me. That is interesting. I'm, I'm interested to find out how that works for you. Mm -hmm. And I do have to confess, I mean, I do have two sets of poultry netting and I pulled, I pulled that out when there'd be an extra bad, you know, if I just need oh, yes. to make sure they're going to stay put. So really just have, have a variety in your toolkit, especially if you're working with sheep. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Now, where are you located? And tell us a little bit about your climate there. Yeah. So I am in Upper East Texas, which is, um, it's called marginal grazing land. We receive above average rainfall and above average sunlight. 
Um, it's not super, we, our temperatures stay super mild, so we don't get a lot of freezes. Um, so, but we do get super hot summers and have very mild winters. So with that kind of rainfall, that affects your parasites for mm -hmm. small ruminants. Yeah, definitely. So the intensive grazing management, it's interesting. Most people, when you hear it talked about, and when I read salad bar beef, it was like, this is going to heal the land. Well, for me and for my operation with sheep, the intensive grazing management is primarily for the health of my animal. I mean, in order to keep them off their parasites, in order to keep the use of chemical dewormers down, I've got to move them once a day. So it's really an interesting thing and probably unique to sheep or maybe goats if people run goats, um, that my pasture rotation is for them and not as much the land. So I, I have to agree with you there. I have heard, you know, when we talk about intensive grazing or rotational grazing or planned grazing, when you're talking to a beef producer or even a dairyman, they came to it from the aspect of providing better quality forage, mm -hmm. uh, managing their grasses a little bit better. When you talk to a small ruminant producer, they came to it from parasite management. Right. It wasn't really about the grass at that point. Mm -hmm. And and I still get all the benefits of the grass, but at the end of the day, oh yes, I think you know I could move them biweekly and still see that same benefit for the land. But I've got to move them daily, you know, in order to see that full benefit for the animal itself. So you're moving them. What kind of forages do you have available for your sheep? Yeah. So I'm not going to pretend to know too much on that front. I've done a little bit of research. We have sort of the typical introduced grasses, the Bermuda grasses. We have some Bahia. We have us, you know, clover. Um, what this area, this specific area of the country was and is, um, it was, it's kind of characterized in that tall grass prairie. So natively, or if you would go maybe 150 years ago, because of that combination of rainfall and sunlight, I mean, if the first people to set foot on this land, they would have encountered grass that was probably head high, you know, on horseback. So grass essentially grows really well here. We actually have some native species on our property that do grow about five foot tall. Now with overgrazing and introduced species, you know, you don't see as much of that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the right. climate that we're living in and the benefit that we see. As you're you're moving your livestock or your sheep through your forages and your small paddocks, how are you watering them? Yeah, so watering right now in about half of the paddocks, it is pretty much not an option. So we have either fixed water points or hose access for about half of our paddocks. And the other half, I'm essentially just taking two five-gallon buckets of water with me whenever I change the paddock. Um, it's an interesting thing with sheep is they just don't drink a ton of water. And that's kind of maybe something that's helping me while I get my watering infrastructure in place. Um, but that's basically all that they need there. And the neat thing is just sort of this little pro tip that one of my grazing mentors gave me. He said, if you're setting up a paddock or a pasture rotation, if you think of a pie, you want to set your water straight in the middle, you know, so that your paddocks are coming out like slices of that pie. And whatever you have to move on a daily basis, make sure it's in the center of that pie so that you don't have to move it on a daily basis. So essentially, I oh, leave yeah. my water right there. I leave my minerals right there. I think some people call it like a wagon wheel rotation. Oh, yes. And that is just one of those little things that cuts down on the time in the daily rotation. So to have those fixed water points, even though I don't have those water sources. So 
Right. And I think that's excellent advice. Now, when I say that, that's not what I'm doing. I would like to do that, but it's always, always something we're working towards. Oh, I know. Isn't that life as a farmer though? There's always something you're working towards. Do what you can with what you have. Yes, exactly. Yes. I sometimes get in this thing where I look at other people's systems and get overwhelmed. But I think at the end of the day, as farmers, do what you can with what you have. Constantly work towards better, but you, you know. do. And and it's so important. You bring up an excellent point there. It's so important when we look at someone else's journey to realize they're on a different portion of their journey than we are. Right. Like you're, you're within that first year getting started and doing good. But if you look at a neighbor who's five years down the road, absolutely, you, you can't compare yourself. They're in a different place on their journey. You can't. And especially, you know, I, in this whole process, you know, YouTube, Master YouTube has been one of my mentors. Oh, very good. Um, yes. And you can get into this analysis paralysis, looking at other people's systems and thinking that you need to have something that looks a little bit like Joel Salatin or something that looks a little bit like Greg Judy before you get started. And there are so, there's so much in everybody's context that is different, that has to be adjusted to. And while you can take, I believe you can take a little bit from here and there, ultimately your set of circumstances is going to be entirely unique. And you're going to have to use your own personal critical thinking skills to, you know, formulate solutions for your farm and your infrastructure. I completely agree. We often look for a recipe of what to do. And they're not so much mm -hmm. recipes as um, rules of thumb, you know, that they kind of mm -hmm. get you started, but it's really going to depend on what's happening on your farm. And the only way you can get there, in my opinion, is by making those mistakes. Because a book exactly. or a video can only show you so much. Go out there, make some mistakes, get started, and learn. Yeah, absolutely. I am I am so that way, you know, especially with my background in business. I want to make those analytical decisions that are going to eliminate the trial and error. Oh. But the reality is trial and error is sometimes the best form of education. And it, it kind of doubles back to the starting small thing. For me, I want to keep it as small as possible for not as long as possible. I want to grow pretty quick, but at least for that first year, it's been so helpful in so many ways that my mistakes have come, but thankfully they haven't come on a large scale system because, you know, starting small, starting with, with portable and all that stuff. So let's circle back to your sheep. Um, I was sitting here thinking, I didn't ask you what kind of sheep you have. Oh, yes. I run Dorper sheep and they are kind of labeled the Angus of the sheep world. I, I don't know if I think it's extreme to say I'm in love with a breed. That's kind of an extreme statement, but I really, really believe in this particular breed because of what I've seen and how I've seen them perform on essentially any kind of forage and their performance on pasture is unique but also the flavor of the meat that they produce is just so good it's overall a more mild flavor i know that you probably hear a lot of people say i can't eat lamb it's just kind of eh. um, but but the product the meat product is a lot more palatable in my opinion so overall the breed performs well on pasture and it creates a meat that is I would probably say more marketable oh, yes. because of the flavor aspect. I've seen a, for, a few Dorpers and they, they definitely look like they're carrying 
meat on them versus some other breeds. Yeah, they're just, they're really stocky. Their legs are shorter. Um, they've got that sort of that torso meat cavity yes. <laughs> yeah. that you like to see on grass-based animals. So, I, I do think it's interesting, the Dorper sheep, as well as the boar goats, both originating in South Africa, and they really bred a nice stocky meat animal. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. more obvious in the boar goats because you start looking at Spanish goats or Kiko goats, and they don't carry quite the muscling. It just amazes me what selective breeding can do. Yeah, it does. It really does. Were you part of the decision to go with Dorpers when your parents got Dorper sheep, or was that their decision that they made on their own? Yeah, that was a decision they made on their own. You know, we used to live in South Texas. We're in Upper East Texas now, and, and the Dorpers were pretty prolific down there, if that's the right term. Oh, okay. Um, so they saw them when we lived down there and kind of just they're they're in addition to being all the the things I previously mentioned, they're just nice to look at on pasture. They've got a really aesthetic appearance to them. So I think maybe it was drawn for that reason partially. Um, but yeah, when we came to Upper East Texas, there was someone who was sort of selling off portions of his herd flock and got in that way. makes perfect sense. i I love the aesthetics of a uniform herd so mm-hmm. yeah. all one color or with your dorper sheep the black head white body or the boar goats are super attractive uh, yeah I, I just love a uniform herd um, for my yeah. cattle i have black and red cattle i'm working really hard to just go all red and it just mm-hmm. drives me crazy but the black ones that are still there are still producing good so it doesn't make sense to get rid of them yeah, I know. It really appeals to the marketer in me, you know, to see that uniformity. Of course, you don't want to have that uniformity of expensive efficiency. So right. you got to kind of work the balance. But I do like looking out there and seeing that uniformity. Oh, yes. Okay. On your sheep and getting started through this year, what have been some of your biggest challenges? Mm. Yeah, this kind of doubles back just to the realizing there won't be one set of solutions for every problem. Um, I think I was kind of naive in thinking if I got past this particular season or if I got past this particular challenge in this season, you know, I get to fall and, and whew, downhill. But I think each season presents a new challenge. And rather than looking for reprieve in the next season or in overcoming that hurdle, just kind of look for reprieve in the day-to-day in formulating a solution or a combination of solutions to really just get you to the next day. I really think that's an important thing that I maybe would have told myself going back is just take a deep breath and just get to the next day, really. And that's enough. Yes. I want to add one thing in there. Just enjoy it. Stop and enjoy the moment. yes. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things I put out on my Instagram the other day. I said, enjoying the job is half of the pay in farming. And you just, when I come to the end of shifting my animals for the day, I just take a minute or 25 minutes to sit there and enjoy how happy they look and how beautiful it is. And I think that's so important for anybody to do. Well, I am guilty of taking videos of them every time I move them to new grass. I do. And, um, I do. That is my photo stream on my phone. I feel like a grandma because I have this photo stream, but it's just sheep on my yes. phone. And somebody was scrolling through my phone the other day and they said, wow, you got a lot of pictures of sheep on here. 
It's like, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I completely understand. Where do you see your farm going for the next few years? So one of the things I've done in my first year, being going from experience level zero, is I have committed myself to 100% unconditional care for these animals. You know, whatever they need to make it to my one year anniversary alive, I will do it. Um, but in that, I am sort of keeping all the data on each different animal. And I'm going to be in the coming years sort of systematically calling for the things that are important to me. Um, upcoming is just calling for that parasite weakness. I am in an area where I don't believe that my usage of conventional dewormers will ever be at zero, but I do want to set a reasonable threshold given the intensive grazing management. So animals that don't necessarily thrive under this threshold that I've set will be culled. So in the coming years, yes, I will be calling for just an overall increased strength in my flock as well as adding to my flock from a couple of incredible sources that I have found um, in the Dorper breeding circle. Some of them actually brought genetics over from Australia and South Africa where the breed originated. So just building up my flock through actually buying in some really good stock as well as culling, you know, just what doesn't thrive in the particular system that I'm working here. Very good. Excellent plan. I guess all of that also falls into, I set out with a pretty intense plan to profit and sort of that plan, it does involve pretty immediately starting to market my end product, whether it's meat or the breeding stock as well. And I think when you're marketing or when you're selling, it's important to get the ball rolling as quickly as possible. So even now I've got my website up for my breeding stock, even though I yet to have anything available, um, just going to be really intensively working the business side of things because when this is something I've carried over from the businesses I've created, you don't start marketing your product when it's available. I'm not going to start marketing my lamb when it's in the freezer. That's too late. Um, so that's going to be a really intense portion of my plan over the next couple of years is just to get the marketing and hit it hard on that front. And just a plug, if you're interested in more about your planning and where you're going, you have a podcast, which you've talked about mm -hmm. that. On. Yes, sir, I do. So well, I being a rookie in agriculture, but having a bit of experience in business, I have a podcast, the Shepherdess podcast, as well as the YouTube channel. I'm kind of outlining my journey from day one, but I'm also being very deliberate about how I share how I'm growing my business side of my farm, um, really just in hopes that it'll help people on the same journey. So yes, I am sharing all the details from how I'm marketing and how I am getting my farm on the internet and in front of people. So definitely thank you for that plug and check it out. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, I think it's so important for honesty and transparency for other people getting started to realize, hey, I can do this. I can try this. I can start small. I can start with four animals. Mm -hmm. And we're not alone on this journey. And that's the one huge thing about this podcast, about the community in general, even though we're not physical neighbors, we are neighbors yeah. and um, yeah. technology has just made it so easy for us to Absolutely. talk with our neighbor across the country. And there are so, there are so many experts out there. That's one of the things I've kind of 
Well, and that's what you're doing with this podcast. And that's one of the things that I have made an effort to do is just anybody who's helped me with their information, anybody who is farther up the line than me, I'm getting their interview and I am trying to share the information that has really helped me down this road so incredibly much. So yeah, it's important. Very good. Let's go ahead and move into our overgrazing section. We're going to take a deep dive into one of your practices. Grace, where or the shepherdess at Harmony mm-hmm. Farms, what are we going to talk about today? All right. So we are going to be talking about the role of a shepherd or a shepherdess. When you asked this question, I kind of thought on it for a bit. I think sheep farming is really, it's, it's blossoming in the USA. And everybody that I've talked to, will sort of unanimously agree that sheep are a different kind of animal in a way that, you know, you can't compare them to a beef, you can't compare them to a, to a pig. And I think since the beginning of time, sheep have been among the only animals pretty much assigned a human counterpart. And as I've been working with them in grazing management and understanding that their well-being just relies almost entirely on this shepherding, this movement, I just wanted to give this little portion sort of a plug to if you're going to get into sheep on any scale, prepare to be a shepherd or a shepherdess in some extent or another. So true. Um, something, as you say that, you know, sheep's been an animal that's always required some or closer human interaction than some other species. You know, I think, for instance, my goats, my goats would love to me never to come around and they could just do anything they wanted. Well, yeah, but but just and it's amazing for me. It's been one of the most rewarding experiences. Now, I didn't have experience with any other animals, which I think is probably a benefit, because if I was to go into it expecting my sheep to act like my beef cattle that I used to have, you know, I may have been at a disadvantage. But it's also been so incredible and rewarding to watch the well-being of this particular animal is so directly tied to your management. And like we were talking about earlier in farming, half of the pay is enjoying it. I think that, you know, just watching an animal thrive under your management, your grazing management, um, it's just, it's incredibly rewarding in that sense. So you bring up about other animals there and beef, cattle and goats. One thing I have found, uh, the sheep are just totally different animals obviously but they really are than goats or beef cattle the management for each of them is unique the way you handle them is unique for my uh i got i have beef cattle have a nice set of working pins to to sort and do everything i got goats i knew they were different goats and wrestling matches go together and i got the sheep and i thought this is going to work great um, I can use my cattle pins, and this will be great. And I tried, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I tried <laughs> to sort them like many cattle. Yeah. And that was a colossal failure. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, and then it deteriorated into wrestling matches with sheep. Uh, <laughs> I did buy a sheep shoot this past, well, with last lamb crop. That was my goal sold it i purchased a a sheep system that connects to the cattle system so i can dual use both of them but i'm pretty excited about that and limiting the wrestling matches because while i'm undefeated i feel like my reign was coming to an end 
I know. I know. You can start to feel that when you're working with sheep. It's like you're riding that edge just two more <laughs> yes. days and you're going to lose. But yeah, that's and it's true. I think sheep, like you said, the handling we we've noticed even so I still have a lot of help from the, the people who have who were managing the sheep two years prior. Oh, yes. And they said, you know, we've just noticed that since I guess essentially you started managing them, they've come to trust the handlers more they've come to funnel through this particular system more and it's really been an interesting thing that just as they're managed they directly respond to that management in their overall behavior and it's it's like you said it's they're unlike any other animal and you've got to go into it into sheep farming or raising sheep understanding that but when you do i mean it can be just the most rewarding thing to kind of step into that role of a shepherd or a shepherdess grace it is time for our famous four questions. Same four questions we ask of all of our guests. I hope you've studied. Oh, I okay. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite grazing grass-related book or resource? Oh, okay. That one's easy. Salad Bar Beef by Joel Salatin. Um, that was the book that got me off the ground. That was probably one of the first, uh, and to be honest, one of the only books I read cover to cover on farming. Um, and then I followed it up really closely with Management Intensive Grazing by Jim Garish. As far as ongoing resources, Master YouTube, you know, Grazing Master YouTube. Um, and then just people in my close support group that I can constantly refer to for, um, for the information I need that's related directly to my climate and my context. I have local ranchers that I'll go to probably with the more serious questions that I have because they are farming in my area and they're farming in my context and their answers will be far and above more helpful than anything I could find on YouTube or anything I could find from somebody who's maybe farming in Pennsylvania or, you know, another climate. Very true. And you mentioned a couple of classic books there that... Mm -hmm that are recommended reads for almost any grazier. Yeah. Our second question, what tool could you not live without on your farm? Okay. Ooh, does my DSLR camera count? You know what? (laughs) You get to decide what counts. So if that is it, that is it. All right. So I'm teasing because that's, that's my, my portal to YouTube. Um, but I carry my camera with me everywhere. But aside from that small acreage, I do everything by hand or on foot. So it's, believe it or not, it's a five gallon bucket because that's what I tote my minerals, my water and any supplemental feed in. So don't be ashamed, guys, anybody out there, if your tools are, are as fancy as mine. <laughs> five gallon buckets, you never can have enough. I tell you what, you can't. And then you jokingly mentioned your camera, but that is so important. One thing we, we didn't talk too much about that I was planning on getting to was your marketing, but without that camera, your marketing would really suffer. It would. And so essentially I started carrying it with me everywhere to chronicle the journey from day one, but my videos will be an integral part of my marketing, you know, so that I can show people firsthand when you buy my lamb or when you buy my breeding stock, this is what it was doing every day. This is how it's been cared for. And essentially with those videos and with those photos and with that transparency, I have begun begun that trust building process, which is, you know, if you're in marketing, if you're in sales, that is, you know, the clincher. 
with respect to getting people to hit that buy button. So I'm incredibly thankful um, that I do have that ability to chronicle not only my journey, but also to put back a library of videos and so forth for my future marketing efforts. I think that's wonderful. Um, I'm a huge fan of YouTube. I watch way too much of it. <laughs> but there's always something we can get from other people. And just to build that trust and that relationship and and learn about what you're doing on your farm is so very important. Yeah, it is. I think especially in the food system today, just knowing where your food comes from and also just having more growers that are that are willing to be transparent about what they're doing. Yes, I agree. Now, I know you're fairly early on your journey, but what would mm -hmm. you tell someone just starting out? Yeah, start as small as possible, especially if you are like me and you jumped into farming with no agricultural background and no experience. I mean, see how small you can start. And what this did for me was it allowed me to pivot once I realized sheep were more profitable, once I realized sheep were a better fit for me overall with my personality or whatever. I didn't have those 10 heifers that I initially planned to buy. I initially planned to go to a really good, um, you know, a good breeder and get 10 heifers, but Instead, I started with three beef steer. And because I started as small as possible, I was able to pivot without a bunch of cargo flying off the sides. And so if I can encourage any fellow beginners out there, it's just start small with what you have. Excellent advice. Another thing, sorry, I just keep talking, but no, um, go, just... keep going. That's the, I think that's the <laughs> mold of a podcast. Yeah. So, so one of the other things I really encourage people to do is start within their resources. That's kind of why I started was because I realized I had the resources at hand to do something like this. So no matter what your resources are, look out your window first. If it's an acre, if it's two acres, see how you can start in agriculture and grazing and whatever within those parameters first. Um, and that, you know, that's not to say that your growth is going to end with what you can see immediately. But if you can get started and if you can make the mistakes with existing resources, it's gonna be a lot less damaging than if you were to go and establish something that was really costly and have all those learning curves, you know, with those expenses. So true. And Grace, where can others find out more about you? Absolutely. So I always tell people about my blog first, which is www.harmonyfarms.blog. That's where I centralize all of my content, which is spread across YouTube, Instagram, and podcast. You can find me as The Shepherdess on YouTube and The Shepherdess in iTunes and Spotify. Very good. We appreciate you coming on and sharing about your journey and what you have going on at Harmony Farms. Well, I am so incredibly grateful. Thank you, sir. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation with the shepherdess at Harmony Farms. She shares lots of insights into what she's doing. The most valuable part for me was hearing more about her marketing and if that is something that speaks to you. I encourage you to check out her podcast, The Shepherdess at Harmony Farms. She has a few episodes and she gets into her journey and um, what she's doing there and what she's doing with marketing. Also, the very first episode features a interview with Joel Salatin. Very cool. Don't forget, we've 
placed all the links and information to the various topics we talked about on our show notes at grazinggrass.com. Also at grazinggrass.com, we have a Be Our Guest link. If you're a grass farmer and would like to share your journey with us, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest link and fill out the form. I'll be in touch and see if we can set up something. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And as always, we appreciate you listening and encourage you to share this episode with someone who might find it valuable. Also, leave a comment, review, any or all of the above. And as always, keep on grazing. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.